Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. We begin this very special two-part series with episode 99 featuring Reggie Warford. Hailed as a lightning quick guard from Drakesboro, Kentucky, Reggie Warford came to the University of Kentucky as a change was taking place throughout the SEC and at Kentucky. Being the first African-American recruit signed by Coach Joby Hall, Reggie led the Wildcats to the 1976 NIT Championship his senior year. Despite being the only senior on that team, the cultural influence Reggie bestowed upon the Kentucky basketball program should not be forgotten. Outside of Reggie's basketball skills, he was also described as quite the entertainer his senior year, and he still is today. There are some great stories Reggie shares, including the rolled-up program incident between Jack Givens and Coach Hall, the last game at Memorial Coliseum, what Reggie's dad said about practice on Sundays, and working on Coach Hall's farm. However, Reggie Warford was not only at Kentucky to play basketball, he was there to make a change, and the change didn't come without some controversy on UK's campus, as he will explain. It's an emotional testimony how a kid from Muhlenberg County found himself breaking down barriers and being the foundation for Coach Hall's vision in which the result will continue to be a lasting impact for Kentucky basketball. Reggie Warford's presence and legacy along with his teammates at Kentucky should not be denied in their place in history. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House and Oscar's guest, Reggie Warford. Reggie, 1976 was a special year for a lot of people. It's my year to come to Lexington to start the Cats Balls, and it played a little bit off of a event up in New York City uh, in uh, Madison Square Garden, and it started out as a, a sort of a bummer of a season at Kentucky. They'd just been to the Final Four the year before, and you had an injury to Rick Robe at one point. You were 10-10, and 10 and the, the Wolves are out, and you guys were fighting to uh, not just to get into a tournament, but to keep your coach too. Uh, talk me back a little bit about how that season started. Well, you're, you're right, Oscar. The season did start off a little slow. And the reason is that I'd like to think that it started off slow is that uh, our first game was at Northwestern. Uh, university, and they had a great little point guard by the name of Billy McKinney, uh, played a number of years in the NBA. And we're preparing to, uh, to go up to New York, and on the first, uh, uh, you know, big practice, um, you remember Bob Fowler? Yes. Uh, Bob Fowler goes up and to do one of his, you know, mighty slam dunks, and I decided that I'm showing Coach Hall how tough I am, and I step up under Bob, and I look up, and I take the charge. 
Unfortunately, his elbow came down in my mouth and immediately ripped off out two teeth clear out of my mouth and bent the others backwards. Dr. V.A. Jackson put on oh, some... Oh, Dr. Jackson. Yes, sir. Dr. V.A. Jackson came out, put on some gloves, got some gauze and looked in, put his hand on top of my head, his hand inside my mouth and pulled and straightened the teeth. And he says, find those teeth that were on the floor. Couldn't find them on the floor. They looked and they were embedded in Bob's arm. And so uh, he, he put the gauze in my mouth and a few minutes later I was back practicing and I finished practice. So I thought the fact that I finished practice was going to be a good idea <laughs> because that's the kind of toughness that Coach Hall would want. Maybe if, you know, I might get in the game. Well, they took one look after, the, after practice and said, you can't travel. So as a senior, I'm left home and I don't make my first game in my senior year. Wildcats go up to Northwestern and we lose. Make a long story short, we were like two and five. And there was a game that we played in the UKIT, if you remember that. And it was against Oregon. They had a very, very good team with Lonnie Shelton and, and a point guard that played a number of years in the NBA. And Joe B. Hall made a mistake. I don't say that often about him. But um, he wasn't happy with the way one of our guards were playing. And so with that rolled-up program, he walked down the bench and he smacked me on my leg. And he said, Casey, get in the game. Dwayne Casey was sitting two seats past me. Now, he called Casey's name, but he hit me. And before Coach had a chance to change his mind, I jumped up and I went in in the game. And you can look it up. I got in the game and I told, told Jack, I may be going out in a minute. I need a play. I needed a play. And so we, the first play we set up was a backdoor play for Goose Givens. I dribbled hard to the right. I spun. He reached out his hand, went back door for a layup. Crowd went crazy. They give me the ball the second time. I do the exact opposite on the side of, on the other side of the floor with James Edward Lee. James goes in, and makes the basket. At the end of the half, you know, I I ended up getting to the line, and I made both free throws, and I sprinted back, and and that's the way it's, it was written. Yeah, I sprinted backwards going down the floor because I was ten feet high. After that game, uh, Truman Clayton had been the starter, and Truman hadn't played poorly. But after that game, uh, I, became, I became a starter, and I started my uh, first road trip and played horrible. And Coach Parson came to me and said, why are you, why are you nervous now? I said, you've been waiting all this time. You should be ready to play. And I said, Coach, I said, I'm ready to play. He said, son, this is your team. He said, we're going to do exactly what you allow us to do. And so that was, uh, that was uh, the first weeks of my, uh, of my senior year. And we went in, we had some good games. You know, we, we went down in Georgia, played a really, a really good game. We uh, played Florida, who was, 
who was playing pretty well at that time. Uh, we played them some good games. But you're right. When we were discussing a little bit earlier about being 10 and 10. What was the mood like at that point of 10 and 10? You, you know what? It, it started that the guys that had backed up, Jimmy Dan Connor and Kevin Greavy and Bob Gayette and those guys, those guys uh, were not there to rescue. So even when Jack Gibbons played well or uh, Mike Phillips played well, there was a larger drop-off from player to player than it was the year before. With Connor and Greavy playing in that group. Right, because yeah. when you substituted for those guys, those were great, great players, but take a look. <laughs> you didn't drop off. I mean, yeah. you, you didn't. You just had, oh, we got great players. Oh, we got a sub. Oh, more great players. And, and you know, it's funny because I like to look at that now and think about all the the uh, great players that they were. And, and I'm going to give you just a few of them because then if my memory is terribly correctly, uh, when I told you that we had a, uh, Ray Edelman, who's player of the year in his division in Pennsylvania, we had Rick Druitz out of Michigan, who was player of the year in Michigan, over Cassie Russell. We had Bob Gayette, who was player of the year in Illinois. Kevin Greavy, that was player of the year in Ohio. Jimmy Dan Cotter, was player of the year in Kentucky. And then their backups, Goose Gibbons, was player of the year uh, in, in Kentucky. James Lee was nationally rated higher than Goose Gibbons. <laughs> but Jack's team won the state tournament. So you had those two. You had, again, Mike Phillips, player of the year in Ohio. You had Rick Roby, player of the year in Louisiana. And then you had, you know, me. So so you, you go along, you're 10 and 10. You start winning games by the skin of your teeth. Yes. You get into the final regular season game. At the time, you were 15 and 10. Yes, sir. Uh, you pretty much knew that you had a decent shot at getting in if you won that game. Yeah. And it's the last game of Memorial Coliseum. So right. you're intertwined between closing down the historic Coliseum and trying to keep your season alive at the same time. First, what do you remember about – Psychic-wise, going in knowing that was the last time, or at least we thought it was going to be the last That's time, that a Kentucky team would play on that floor. Well, i, I got to take you to the game before that. The game before the Mississippi State game was a nationally ranked Alabama team. If Alabama knocks us out, then it's all, everything's, it's, over. everything's over. So the big game that we had to win was Alabama. So we had prepared – and uh, they had beaten us on their court. They had uh, uh, Leon Douglas, who was player of the year. They had Anthony, who was uh, a, a, a guard, point guard that was all-conference. And King, they had three players in the in the Good as anybody in the country. At, at that time, absolutely. Oh, and T.R. Dunn, who, <laughs> golly, you almost forget him. And, and so when you look at all the players that they had, and they were coming in, and they were riding high. Boy, that was the game. But uh, to me, one of the best games I played in the Kentucky uniform 
And the guy who made the most important basket of the game, James Edward Lee, James uh, played a great game. We ended up winning. So now we're getting ready for Gary Hooker and Ray White, two of the you know, best athletes in, in the SEC. Great shooters, really cocky. And we knew they were coming in, and we had, we had to get on them. I drew the assignment to, to guard White. And uh, he's 6'4 or so, and he's taller than I am. But uh, we had a great game plan. And during the course of the game, Hooker got away from a couple of guys, made some plays that, that, were, that were really outstanding plays. And we found ourselves down nine with a little over 50 seconds to go in, in the game. And Joe B called a timeout. And I've told this story uh, at, at, at gatherings with other Kentucky players because they understand when Joe B got into that huddle, you know he always carried that wrapped up tight piece of program. So we were we were, you know, listening on every word he said, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna push up the pressure and uh Reggie, you and Larry are gonna go after this guy and gonna go after that. And we made a comeback. So we get the game into overtime, which was great. So now we have to play near the end of the game. We ended up with a few seconds left, and we have to draw up an out-of-bounds play. And Coach Hall had initially drew up the play for Bob Fowler, even though he was a freshman with tremendous leaping ability. So the play was supposed to start with uh, me taking the ball out and, and getting the ball to Larry Johnson, and then what was going to happen, Jack Givens was going to be on the box and he was going to step out and set a back screen for Fowler's guy. And he was supposed to go to the basket. Larry was going to throw the lob pass to him. We were going to win and go home happy. Bob Fowler, Bob Fowler forgot. So, so I when wish, I wish our listeners could see your face right now <laughs> and your grin and how you're really enjoying telling the story one more time. Well, well, it's, it's two things. I got to say, before we went out, I had a bad omen because Goose Givens went around and he was asking the guys for some water. And so he turned his head away from Coach Hall, and Coach Hall slapped him on the leg with that program and says, Jack, listen. You know, <laughs> before he could get that out, Jack took the program out of his hand hit Joe B on the leg and handed it back to him. And Coach took it. He took it. And I was, I was watching this. I said, wait a minute. And, he, and Jack says, man, don't hit me. <laughs> so anyway, that's how we broke our huddle. So it was, it was doomed to, to fail. So we get in. We line up. Everybody lines up right, correctly. Fowler, who's in the dead corner, takes off. Before the ball's even thrown in bounds, he he takes off. He gets to the basket. He jumps, put two hands on the rim, landed, and kept on going. Larry Johnson is stuck with the ball. He throws it back to me. I'm not taking this shot. And just as 
Fowler had gone off there. Goose rolls into the middle. He gets a bounce pass. And scores. And, and we win. And that was, we knew that we were not going to lose that game. And the reason we knew that, that is that when we were waiting for them at one point to throw the ball in bounds within that 50 seconds when we were mm -hmm. making our comeback, Jodine Jr. was sitting next to the radio, uh, Mississippi State radio broadcast. And we could hear him saying, we just beat Kentucky. We, we could actually hear him saying that. And we're in our uniform and said, <laughs> wait a minute. Said, and, 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 and I don't know who was said. It says, you can't lose the last game. In the Coliseum. You can't lose, can't lose it too much. And, and that, was, that was just an absolutely uh, great, uh, great comeback. And it actually ended up being the impetus for us making the NIT. You, you win that game, you're going to New York. NIT was a big deal then because you didn't have that large a feel in the NCAA. In fact, I think there were four teams in NIT that were ranked in the top 25. Well, you're talking about Providence. You're talking about Kansas State that had uh, uh, Mike Evans and Chucky White, the famous uh, or the infamous purple pop gun duo, both guys average over 20-some points a game. Larry Johnson and I, you know, sat down and ate with him because we was, we'd never seen guards average 24, 25 points a game. So. Yeah, you, you get up there and I think you played Niagara in the first game. And I know I went up, my me and my wife, we were in Hazard at the time, and uh, I was sort of out of a job and because I'd sold my business in Hazard. So we came down and flew up with alumni group. But they only told us we were going to stay three days, that you weren't going to win more than one game, if that. So they were coming back after the second game. And uh, <laughs> got up there. I, I had a little bit more confidence, particularly after you beat Niagara the way you did. Well, you, <laughs> I, I, I understand that. But what you don't realize, Oscar, is that the team – was asked to vote on even whether to go to the NIT. And I'm not calling names, Rick Roby. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know. So, so he wanted to go to Florida for a spring break. Oh, you know, he went up for the first game and then flew back to Florida, then came back for the – yeah. So here's, here's what we had. It was funny because there were more than Rick that said, no, you know, we've, we've had enough this year. And so – the team voted, and then, oh, Coach Hall said he forgot to cast his vote. <laughs> and when Coach Hall cast his vote, we ended up going to the NIT. You, you get up there in the first game you win, and you're supposed to play a team in the second game that was going to create all kinds of buzz, and they lost. You remember who that was? Well, the, the team that I was talking about, Kansas State. Yeah, you, beat, you played them, but you were supposed to – played Louisville. Oh, my god! And gosh. Louisville got beat in the first game. Well, you know what? Uh, Louisville was there. Bill Cartwright's uh, uh, team from San Francisco was there. So Lonnie Shelton's team was there. Uh, Chucky, Chucky White and Mike Evans' team. Uh, Campbell from Providence. <laughs> I mean, they were loaded. They're, the, the NIT 
was loaded. Were you ever in New York in New York before that time or not? Had you ever been there? No. To Madison? What was it like when you stepped off the plane and you started over toward Manhattan and uh, the the 24 hours or 48 hours before you actually went on the floor at the garden? Um, if you remember then, uh, Oscar, I'd had a little bit of a, a heart problem even back then. And so I really hadn't played um, a, significant, a significant amount of minutes in the earlier games in the tournament. Um, I actually ended up taking a shot to play in the last games, and I was thinking, you know, what difference does it make whether I play or, you know, and injure myself because this is all I'm planning to play anyway. So, uh, and I told Coach Hall, I said, uh, you know, yeah, I want to try. I said, if I miss my first shot, again, you know, just take me out and then I'll back up whoever you say. So, in the first game, the last game against North Carolina Charlotte, um, we got the tip and I got the ball and I remember taking two dribbles, maybe three, no rebounding, and I turned around and shot it and it went in. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I knew that I was going to be all right for that game. And uh, What was your best game up there? That was really the only game I played. I assisted on Larry Johnson's uh, basket <laughs> against Providence in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. uh, I played only a couple of minutes, a few minutes, uh, 10 minutes maybe against the uh, – the uh, Purple Pop Gun duo, the Kansas State uh, Wildcats. And uh, if you remember Jeff Ray, Jeff Ray's dad had been the football coach at UK. Well, Jeff. John Ray. Yeah, yes, John Ray. yes. And Jeff transferred to Niagara. So I was actually playing against, he had signed with Kentucky when I did, after I did. I'd but he, that. but he ended up transferring to Niagara, and he was on the team. And the Niagara team was led by the great Neil Walker, who's just a fantastic six four, six five guard. You were one of the few seniors on that team. No, I was the only senior uh, on that team. <laughs> what? No walk on seniors. No. Uh huh. No. As a matter of fact, if you remember, Danny Hall had left the team. Right. Rick had gotten hurt. Mm -hmm. So the guys that were on the team, if you look at it now, and I'll have to test my memory a little bit, but there was Joey Holland, Dwayne Casey, Truman Clater, Larry Johnson, myself. I'm doing the guard's yeah. first most important position. <laughs> <laughs> then there was a guy by the name of Jack Gibbons and Marion Haskins as a small forward. There was James Edward Lee, and then there – I call him James Edward, but and then there were Mike Phillips, and then Bob Fowler. Something that's so near and dear to Kentuckians since the beginning of UK basketball, and even today and tomorrow, is the part, the role that native Kentuckians play in Kentucky basketball, and what kind of a role model they become for young children today. In 1972-73, uh, 
you were Joby Hall's first recruited African American. Yes, sir. He's told me many times since then, uh, I say many, more than three or four times, that when he took over for Adolph Rupp, and everybody remembers the Tom Payne uh, two years here. Yes. Who was a native Kentuckian from Louisville. Louisville. Yes, sir. And when Joe took over, a new era was coming in for college basketball all around the country. But it was really starting to sink into the south and to the raw areas of the country. Yes. And he told me when he took over that the Tom Payne uh, recruitment and the two years because of some off-the-field issues. Yes, sir. Uh, was going to make it a terrible burden on whoever he chose to bring in first. Yes. And he told me it was important to I went out and got a African-American who could play the game, not a token one. And I had to get one who had unquestionable character. And he wanted to be a Kentuckian. That's the first time I've ever heard that. Mr. Louis Stout, who, was, who also played for Joe Hall, uh, became a good friend and mentor to me during the recruitment period. And the one thing that he said that I didn't understand uh, at that time, he said, son, I don't care if you play a minute. He said, what you do in here is much more important. And I didn't understand that because I said, wait a minute, how could all of this not play? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, you know, that was the encouragement that I got. And, and then when you say understanding what Big Blue Nation is about, um, I had two disparately different incidents, and the first one wasn't a pleasant one, and Dr. V.A. Jackson had to help me through it. And that was when I first came to Kentucky, and to sit there and hear the words of my old Kentucky home, when people were singing, it, it was fine. But I don't know what it was, but it was a what made them do it, that there was a particular group of college kids that were sitting, and as we were standing for my old Kentucky home, when it got to the point where they said, and the darkies are gay, and they laughed. And I sat down. And when I sat down, people booed. And, and Dr. Jackson, V.A. Jackson, came up next to me, and he put his arm on my shoulder. He said, Reggie, we can talk about it. You don't want to do that now. And I said, you know what? I cannot do this, Doc. Not for every other black kid who ever wants to show. I said, I can't do that. Not if they're going to say it like that. Not if they're going to do it. And it became an issue. And eventually... In 76, that became an issue on campus with the AFIA fraternity, the Kappa Alpha Psi fraternities, going 
to the student government and talking about this climate, I was still referred to uh, as the only, Kentucky was still referred to as the only all-white team in the SEC, and I was on the team. And it was difficult. So fast forward later in the year when some brilliant person started saying, and the people are gay. And that made it inclusive for every African-American person to feel as they do about Kentucky. You know, I, I came in last night and, and saw uh, something that I never saw during my time in Kentucky, African-American members of the 101 Club. When I was in the 70s, it wasn't there. And, and it's a great tribute to what Coach Hall envisioned and what he did. Yes, the national championship was important. The national runner-up was important. The team with Bowie and, and Turp and, and Kenny and those guys was important. But the most important thing that he did was made it an atmosphere where you didn't have to think about it. Because when I came, people thought about it. And later on, after Larry Johnson and Marion Haskins. Let me stop you right there and just toss in, because I was going to bring those up. Rachel Warford, Larry Johnson, Marion Haskins. No finer three people that I've ever come across than those three. And each one of those meant so, so much. Larry Johnson. Great I've player. I've never been in a locker room more demoralized than after the 77 loss to North Carolina in the late eight. And Larry Johnson played his heart out. I don't think he had a heart left after that game, mm. but lost. And then Marion Haskins, who I thought was so important to this program for – for Joe B, because he wanted his brother Clem and yeah. didn't get him. Right. And, you know, he was up there. So he, he played that not just one year. I mean, he made sure that the roster was starting with native Kentuckians. And, 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 and people of character. Yes. And, and then when, when you ask, you know, you, you, you get the homegrown uh, players in, in – and uh, James and Jack. And it's funny because Jack said something to me a, a, a little while ago when he was talking about that. Um, he said, you know, it was, he said it would have been different had I not come to a Kentucky practice and seen people that looked like me. He, he needed that, that, that you, comfort also. You take that group of five, six, seven players, African-Americans, Kentuckians, when you add in Jack and James yes. to the others there. Um, all of a sudden, Joe, in, in some ways, this may be his greatest legacy when people take the time to go back and look at history and what he was able to do. You know, coming in for Coach Rupp, who recruited some of the best in Louisville, but then some of those 
kids and their parents were facing rival recruiters saying, you don't want your son to go to Kentucky. They're going to go to Starkville. They're going to go to Oxford. You know, they're going to be trouble down there. Uh-huh. Oscar, can I tell you about a conversation yes, that sir. I had with Coach Rupp? Yes. Okay. And, you know, the people who knew me back then, as you did, I, you know, I become a tiny bit smarter over the years, but I run my mouth, and, and I didn't get care who heard me. So it wasn't anything for me to ask Coach Rupp, you know, why do you, why don't you recruit more black players? You know, and his answer was that he tried. He said, but to be really honest, he didn't say that. He said, he said, but to tell the truth, I get the best white boys in America. And he let that drop, and I understood what he meant. Now, that was when you were, you were competing against the other teams who had the other white boys in America. As those teams start to get darker, as Alabama, Vanderbilt with, with Wallace, who hosted me on my visit there. Mm-hmm. When those teams started to do it, uh, Ray Mears gets Bernard King, and Michael Jackson, those guys out of Tennessee. That, then the climate changed. So, so what Coach Hall did was, was <laughs> tremendous foresight, tremendous foresight. And, and I think has led to the great success uh, that Kentucky continues to enjoy. We're sitting here recording this, which sometimes we don't know why things certainly happen in our yes. life. But uh, I was leaving the Kentucky-Florida game Saturday. We're sitting here in your motel room on Sunday morning chatting and as I was leaving I hear this little voice says hey Oscar and we're in the middle of a couple thousand people rushing from Rupp Arena over to the Hyatt and I look around and I I, I see a gentleman in a wheelchair and he doesn't look like anybody I know because he's put on a few pounds and I pause and I look and I see these lips and I said that's a Reggie Warford <laughs> and I run over and we give each other a hug and then we're getting ready to do one final podcast on my conversations with Oscar Combs podcast that my friend Bo Robinson and I have been doing for the past couple of years and I said I got to get a hold of him first of all looking back what was the Kentucky-Florida game like to you? You mean from when I played or last night's game? Last night's game, Saturday what, night's game. You know what? Uh, Kentucky did what they've been doing under Cal a lot this year. Uh, they play and they keep it even. They, they go behind a lot. And whether it's his halftime speech or – Afraid, you know, to lose, uh, they battle back and and play. And and uh, when you when you look at that roster, and 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 
you look at, at Hero and Johnson and Washington and Reed and, and, and uh, their little point guard, God bless him. He, you know, I, I wish he would take the 15-foot shot when it rotates back to him. But other than that, what a perfect player. You know, and and uh, you know he'll he'll. But have he's a, a freshman. Yeah, but you know what? This is now he's a sophomore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's played enough games. You know, he's played. Well, you're games. not having much empathy for your counterparts. Forty years later, no, you're because, tough on point guards, aren't you? You, you know what? Because I'm, I told you earlier that I was very cocky way back then, and and it might have hurt me a little bit, but. I can remember seeing guys who were, you know, way elevated players, and and I was thinking, boy, I, I could play with them, you know. I, I, I it's, it's about can you dribble? Can you keep them from taking the ball? Can you take it for them? And can you pass it to the guys that open? That's what I thought. And then Coach Hall taught me something totally different, which changed the way I that I saw the game. And if you'd like me to share it with you, I will. But you know, we'll go right ahead. Okay, I mean, we don't want to keep any secrets from anybody. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Coach Hall. After uh, practice, that I thought that I had played really well. I thought that every shot that I took, I made. It just felt like that. I didn't think that anybody could deal with me in practice that day, and so I was strutting my stuff and had my heads in the clouds a little bit. So when you do that, you're Definitely heading for a seat <laughs> to sit down with the coach. So he calls me over to the to the bleachers, and I go over it. And uh, we talked about the, the day a little bit. But then he said, you know, you love this game. I said, yes, sir. I love this game. He said, well, uh, you know this game is like a war. I said, like a war? He said, yeah, this game is like a war. You got to fight it like you fighting. You want people in the foxholes with you like a war. I said, okay, that's, that's good. And he said, son, when you're winning a war, you know, you need your big guns, your artilleries, your missiles. You don't win a war with a pop gun. Son, you're a pop gun. Get the damn ball to Phillips and Roby. <laughs> Because they my cannons. <laughs> he could play the mind games with the best of them, couldn't he? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, and you know what? It's funny because I didn't know this as a player. But as I start to coach, when you start playing those mind games and you say things that are facetious or you say things that, you know what, you, you put your hand over your mouth and you secretly laugh, right after you say him, hope that the kid doesn't see you. Uh, he was really, really good at that. He was really good. And he had such a, a deadpan, dry sense of humor. But it was cutting when it got to you. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit to your childhood growing up. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I grew up in a small town, about 800 people. Uh, in Drakesboro, Kentucky. Um, my mother, Valencia, and my father, Roland, were uh, church people, my father being a minister. Um, my two older brothers, Ronnie and Billy, were both athletes and both uh, military people in their own right. 
My younger brother Derek was, uh, he made the Hall of Fame in Muhlenberg County in baseball and was a captain in the Air Force when he retired. My three sisters, Thelma, Valma, and Nisi, were all athletes or musicians or cheerleaders in their own right. So, you know, we had a total, you know, athletic family. And uh, my mother and father met Coach Hall, obviously, when, when I was being recruited. And uh, he came into my home with a gentleman you might remember, uh, Mr. Crowley. Uh, Bob Crowley. Yes, and he had driven him down. So I thought he was another coach. I didn't know that he was a one-on-one club member until <laughs> t- t- later. But he was very nice. And Coach Hall promptly told my mom and daddy that we didn't practice on Sunday and he doesn't use profanity. <laughs> Oscar, and you're laughing. <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we, there's two of them that he's got to make up for sometime. <laughs> we 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 love we love that part of it, but uh, you know what what he did is, is it convinced him that you know he wasn't going to let anything happen to me. And when I went through my initial heart illness in uh, in Lexington, and my mother came up, uh, well, what was this? This is my sophomore year, and I was in the hospital for a while. And she came up and got a hotel across from the, uh, uh, across from uh, the UK uh, center. And uh, my uh, Miss Catherine, uh, Coach Hall's wife, uh, one of the most elegant ladies I've ever had ever met, came in and she. she did some really nice things and, and kept time with my mother and eased her mind about everything that was happening. How, how public did your uh, heart situation become at that time? Well, they told me I couldn't play any longer. And, and finally, you know, I was coming to practice and sitting and watching and it was coming for a couple of months anyway. And um, was that made public to the media through UK, or were you just? Yeah, actually, it it was. It was. There was a a, one of my doctors. I think was named Doctor Cassio, if I remember correctly, and uh, and so they thought that I had uh, hydroprophic cardiomyopathy, which I did, and there had been, if you remember, two players that had died that were in my class. One of them, I think, in Maryland, and I can't remember whether the Lynn Bass? No, Lynn was way after okay. me, but who had heart conditions that that died on the floor in, in, or in practice. And, uh, and so they were very afraid to let players play. So I told them that, and boy, this is stupid on top of stupid. I used to say that I love basketball more than my next breath. (laughs) And uh, I told him, I said, you know, if I can't play basketball, I might as well die anyway. So they finally let me stay on the team. I didn't play much. I didn't do much in practice, but I was there and did what I could. And then I would leave practice and go to the park and and play <laughs> and 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 play like you really wanted to play play like 
Yeah, yeah, the, the crazy stuff that I, I like to do. Uh, coming out of high school, who else recruited you? Well, I still have uh, handwritten letters from uh, Indiana, from Bobby Knight, his early years at, uh, in, uh, at Indiana, Digger Phelps. I visited um, Western Kentucky. I visited uh, because, you know, they were having a great run at that time, so I visited Western. Uh, I visited Vanderbilt, um, and I visited Murray, uh, Murray State, uh, and but I had uh, a lot of interests. But my father, who um, who hadn't gone to college at that time, didn't know very much, and was a minister. And what he said to me was, he said, uh, "Son, he said there's going to be." Uh, he said, I'm sorry, that, but no no white man is going to give you money because you can b- dribble a basketball. He said, they're going to ask you to be doing some other kind of work. Uh, and, and you know, I kept, you know, what does he know? My dad don't know anything. You know, I'm really good, and I'm going to get a scholarship to Kentucky until uh, they pick us up in a in – a big truck one day and we get in it the team gets in it and we started going up up the highway <laughs> not going to joe's farm are you oh lord <laughs> and you know i've tobacco, been on tobacco cutting time yeah it, now, now you understand that oscar see we don't have tobacco down where i <laughs> am in west kentucky you know so i'd seen big cornfields i'd seen you know coal mines i'd seen you know some other things but not a lot of big tobacco fields that I was aware of in Muhlenberg <laughs> County. So I don't know what we're doing because we're not told. So we get there, and they got these machetes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my God, my dad was right. <laughs> they, <laughs> they put me on a work phone. <laughs> so <laughs> they showed us how to chop tobacco. The tall, the co- tall guys were in. They were hanging and hanging the tobacco, and then uh, <laughs> we get back. We have a great meal. had a, had a great barbecue that night at his farm up there, and we get back, and I run back to my dorm and I get on the little dialing phone back then, <laughs> and I call my dad up. Daddy, you were right. Daddy, you were right. <laughs> they put me on the farm. <laughs> they had me working. Oh, it was really tough. I want to come home. <laughs> uh, my daddy said, boy, he said, you done told those people you don't play ball up there, so I got no sympathy. <laughs> so you, you come to Kentucky and you're yeah. a freshman, and freshmen can play at that point in time. No, we had a freshman team. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, it's 70, that's 72, 73. That's right, yes. because the Super Kittens – of course, had been before me, right? And and so and they were. That was their first year of playing varsity ball. Yes, seventy three. Your first year, right? They they were a year in front of you. So I had come here hearing that these guys were twenty seven and zero, right? Right. And so they hadn't lost the game, even when they played against the varsity. They won the game. So well, I'm that, thinking that's, that's debatable between Joe B and Adolph. You yeah. know, Adolph says they never lost in the game. Joe B says they changed 
referees with three minutes to go in the game put in three senior managers and give them instructions if they want to come back tomorrow. That team, and then as soon as they get the lead, they blow the horn and say, game over. Game over, yeah. I, I've been a part of those before too, yes. I, I understand how that works. But I did understand that, you know, that was a great, great team. And I knew that I was coming in behind some great, great players. But at the time, and this is what's so hard, I didn't know the difference between the University of Kentucky, the University of Evansville that was 60 miles north, Austin P. University. They were all they were all colleges. They all played basketball. So I didn't understand the hierarchy or the you know or or, or anything about what was Kentucky and Evansville. Either one, they were equal to me, which I didn't know. But my high school coach did, thank goodness. And they convinced him to tell me and because I committed to uh, Austin P and Leonard Hamilton and Lake Kelly. And now tell me a little bit about that. Well, Leonard Hamilton was as good a recruiter starting out as he is today because he – I only know – that he was much younger than my mom, who was who was fair, he was pretty good looking in his, in her own right. But when when uh, when she knew that Coach Hamilton would come, she would wear something just a little nicer sometimes. <laughs> Did she make an apple pie for him? You know, well she could cook, so I I know he had dinner with us. But it's funny because he was he was everything that an African American family would want their son to be. And so uh, I went down, I worked out with these players, and they thought that, you know, I would be a fit. And, you know, they had Fly William comes in that year. And, and uh, Coach Hamilton came to me and said, uh, you know, Kentucky really wants you, Reggie. I said, what? He said, yeah, Kentucky really wants you. And he said, you need to go. So Leonard Hamilton steered you to Kentucky. Yep, and then I went back and I told my high school coach, I said, you know, you got to fix this. And But he uh, – Do you he think me, Do you think there was more into it? I always than, thought there were more than, into than, it. Than you just going there for your benefit or how much it would mean to African-Americans everywhere going forward? You, you know what? I, I don't like to – take that much I don't like to take that credit if you understand what I'm saying Oscar mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know somebody would have done it but at the time uh, you're a new coach you're coming in at a program with a, a sort of a, a tough reputation in that so get somebody that can stay and I think that I was that guy and you know the fact that you know maybe I could play a little bit maybe I, I couldn't but it was the, Le that the Leonard Hamilton that I know, yes. knew, know today, I could see him doing that. Well, for Kentucky needs this, and African Americans needs to go in and be a part of Kentucky because they are Kentucky. Well, yes, and the other part of that was that what I didn't know until much later, and you know, it was a lot less sophisticated as I said back then was that Lake Kelly and Joe B are best of friends. <laughs> so, 
So, so well, later Lake, on, and Lake, when I thought about that. And Lake Kelly is the man responsible for telling Joe to hire Leonard. Yes. And by the time you're a senior, Leonard No, 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 Hamlet, no. By the time I'm a sophomore. Yeah. He's your coach. He, he is. I was walking in to the basketball office to transfer. I was walking in Memorial Coliseum. I was... I was shaking my head and thinking, and I saw, I, I can't remember his name, I, I, Graves, Coach Graves, Robert Graves. Bob Graves. Yeah, yeah. From, from Louisville. Central? Yeah, from Louisville. Saw him. And so, coaches are busy. He's talking to people. Then I saw Leonard Hamilton. He said, he said, hey, you know, we speak, and it's good to see him, and I I said, well, you know, you're going to be one of the people I was getting ready to call. He said, what are you doing? I said, coach, I said, you know, it's, you know, I played a lot on the freshman team, but, you know, I, I don't know if this is going to work for me. He said, you just wait. Just settle down and wait, and I'll talk to you later. Next thing I know, Lyndon Hamilton's the coach of Kentucky, and <laughs> I'm staying, and, 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 uh, and it was uh, – Every time that it was too hard, someone of importance intervened and made it much easier. When you finally go on the road as a member of the varsity. Yes, sir. Um, what was your first road game in the SEC? Do you remember? No, but I, and, and <laughs> I remember different trips that stood out. Um, the trip going to, into um, Starkville when um, D.G. Fitzmaurice was on the bus. And we're going through the this little circle square that goes there. Now, D.G. Fitzmaurice, for our listeners, is a former sports writer for the Lexington Herald covered in Kentucky for several years. And he was on the bus with us. Yes. And so I, the coaches are up front. He's sitting in the middle. I'm sitting near the back. But I'm sitting on the window side. So uh, Fitz got up and he came over and he moved me away from the window. And I didn't know why he moved me, me away from the window. And he said, you know, I thought I saw – People with clan robes <laughs> in in the in the circle square down there. So he said, "Just get down for a minute." So as I said, as a naive kid, I did exactly what he said, not knowing whether he was pulling my chain fully or telling me that I was in Mississippi and that I needed to be careful. Uh, we traveled with two state troopers, and so I remember thinking, "Golly." Why do you need state troopers traveling with your team? And then I started to get the the gist of what big time sports and athletics were like. How difficult was it uh, to put the clutter out of your ears when you were on the road, particularly when you were on the floor playing? You know what? Uh, It was uh, it was difficult at first, 
because it's not that your teammates are bad or 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 but sometimes you don't have someone to commiserate i mean i i'll ask you i'll tell you a couple of things you know those guys have been really nice jerry hale uh has been great to me uh kevin greevy has always been encouraging and Whenever I've said, you know, I, I coached his younger brother, Scott, at Pittsburgh. But I'll, I'll tell you a, a, a couple of stories here. Uh, Jimmy Dan Connor, when I was having my first open heart surgery, out of the blue, gave me a call. And he, he said, listen, I don't know what's going on with you. He said, but I want you to know that your wife, Marissa, and your kids won't have to worry about a thing. He said, I promise you that. So I said, J.D., uh, I said, man, I, I appreciate that. I said, because, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I had a quintuple bypass. And uh, so... It wasn't as if, you know, coming to Kentucky and every player and every fan, you know, didn't want an African-American to be there. It was just the odd one here or the odd one there or the dirty look or you, you can't go into this or double-checking your ID. Uh, are you supposed to be on campus? Those are the things that, that weigh in a person's uh sense of self and soul that if you're questioned about things that no one else would be questioned about and eventually with the arrival of some of the guys that we spoke about earlier that went away tell me the bob Guyatt story you know you know what i i, I told you that off uh, uh off radio for that because i never wanted to put bob Guyatt in that you know, situation. Can, can I say this? And I'm not yes. going to repeat the story. Uh, Bob Guyette is my one teammate that I felt like that I had shared a confidence that should have been shared. And I shouldn't have said anything. And Bob did forgive me for that. And I consider him one of the dearest uh, friends that I ever played with. He took me up to his home uh, in Ottawa, Illinois. Uh, he took me out you know, for a guy that could barely do the, the dog pedal. He, he took me out on water skis. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we drove his 1965 green Mustang convertible from Lexington to Ottawa and had a great time there. And there's a picture of he and his entire family and... We all stuck our hands in the middle of the table and took a picture because he wanted to commemorate that. That's the Bob Guyette that people need to hear about. And that's the Bob Guyette that I choose to remember as one of my great friends. Our many thanks to Reggie Warford and his family for taking the time to invite Oscar in to be a part of conversations with Oscar Combs. Presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. 
Part two of Oscar's conversation with Reggie will be episode 100, and it's definitely one that the Big Blue Nation should not miss. All of Oscar's conversations can be found at oscarcombs.com, including episodes 61 and 62 featuring Jerry Hale, and episodes 94 and 96 with Kevin Gravy. To download all episodes of Conversations, you can find them in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Search for at Wildcat News and subscribe. For more with the Big O, follow him on Twitter at Wildcat News. On behalf of Reggie and Oscar, I'm Bo Robinson, thanking you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.